Welcome to Dayspring Fellowship. You've picked a good day to join us. God wants to do something new in you today. And since we grow best in community, we get the privilege of being a part of what that new thing is, whatever it is. God is always good. So even though none of us might know what that new thing is, we can trust that His perfect work will make you more like Jesus. And since that's what we're all about, let's count today in the win column of your spiritual journey. And mine. Speaking of which, I'm Chris Voigt, and I lead the team here at Dayspring. People grow here because that team loves to encourage and challenge people just like you to trust Jesus with more of your life. More today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. If you're visiting Dayspring today, we want you to know that we are a come-as-you-are kind of church. We're a church of good old regular people, people trying to clean up their messy lives one step in the right direction at a time. Which means that no matter where you are on your spiritual journey, this is a good place to be in process, figuring it out. We haven't arrived yet, so we can be good company on the journey. Even if you aren't sure the Christian life is a journey you want to be on, this is a good place to ask questions as you look for answers. So welcome. You can learn more about us as a church by exploring our website at dsf.church, by checking out our Facebook page, or contacting us by phone or email. If you need help figuring out the next step to making Dayspring your home church, or if you just have questions, let us know. We'll help you find the answers. For today's service, you can find a discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. And now, let's join our service. For almost 2,000 years, uh, the Capital C Church has taken its cue from some of the final words of Jesus. Uh, It was after the resurrection. Uh, Jesus was appearing here and there, mostly appearing to his followers, although we know that around 500 people witnessed uh, his post-death life. And at one such meeting uh, with the disciples in Galilee, Jesus gave them and through them us their marching orders. This is our purpose. Matthew tells us that Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given you, been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, these are familiar words to many of us. Go and make disciples. Uh, We call this the Great Commission. Two steps. The first step is to baptize people. Now, with this word, baptize, Jesus is using a literary device where he is wrapping up the process of evangelism into that one word. uh, It isn't just dunking people. It's reaching lost people and inviting them to a point of commitment that culminates with baptism. We invite them to experience something so spectacular that it transforms them into new creations. The second step is to teach them to obey everything Jesus commanded. 
For three-ish years, Jesus had transformed the character of the original 12, we'll call them the capital D disciples, and perhaps a hundred plus others, the lowercase d disciples, men and women who also sat at the feet of their rabbi Jesus, absorbing his teachings. Now, with their character formed to the image of their Savior, they were to go and do the same. We are to do the same. The Apostle Paul addressed the second step in his letter to the church in Ephesus. In Ephesians chapter 4, he writes, Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The central responsibility of the, of the leaders in the church is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church until they are mature in the Lord. We call this the process of sanctification. It is the process of becoming like Jesus. Becoming people who think like, believe like, and act like Jesus. Uh, you might have heard the word spiritual formation or discipleship process. That's what these words are describing. Uh, becoming people who have the character of Christ. Dallas Willard was one of the capital C Church's great thinkers about the transformation and discipleship process in the Christian life. He believed that building the character of Christ into the lives of his followers was the most important thing a church could do. It is our primary responsibility. And if you've been around Dayspring longer than a few weeks, you know that we agree with Dallas. A discipleship is what we are all about. We talk about it all the time. Everything we do revolves around helping people grow holistically, mind, body, soul. In order to be truly spiritually mature and healthy, we must also be emotionally mature and healthy and have physical command of our bodies, our, our flesh, which is at war with the discipleship process and seeks to draw us back into sin. Mind, body, soul. Now I know this is all a reminder to most of you. I'm good with that. We all need to be reminded every now and then or we easily lose focus. You often hear me say, people grow here. People grow here reminds us of this discipleship focus. It is our line in the sand. We are going to do everything we can to equip, challenge, and encourage you to become spiritually healthy adults. And you are going to actively partner with the Holy Spirit who makes character transformation happen and partner with us in community to become the most spiritually mature follower of Christ you can become. Now I say in community because character transformation isn't a solo process. God designed us to transform in community. So people grow here is also our expectation for you. Of course we can't make anyone grow. That's a choice only you can make for yourself. But I promise you this. We're going to make it hard for you to not grow. 
here at Dayspring. If you don't want to grow, you have permission to attend another church because people grow here. And the good news is people really do grow here. God uses our community for character formation. Now I want you to put a pin in those two words, character formation, so that you don't forget them. Character formation is how we become like Jesus, how we love like Jesus. When we begin our journey with Christ, our character is not formed to Jesus' character. It is formed to the character of this world, controlled by the prince of this world, the devil. So we begin the process of reforming our character, transforming our character, or aligning our character with the character of Christ. So how does that happen? How does character formation actually occur? Well, before we get there, we need to understand the brain. And thanks to continuing advances in science, we live in an age where we understand the brain better than at any other time in history. And when you combine neuroscience with theology, we get a better picture of how spiritual growth happens, a more complete picture of how spiritual growth happens. Now, I'm pretty sure that we all know that the brain is the central processing unit of our body. Much like the central processing unit of a computer controls all of the functions of the computer, our brain controls everything for us. And it processes more information in a day than we could possibly begin to fathom. In fact, it processes more information in a moment than we could possibly begin to fathom because our brain does it automatically for us to a point. For example, most of us take our eyesight for granted, but even the simplest of visual processes is divinely complex. The retina alone conducts close to 10 billion calculations every second. And that's before an image even travels through the optic nerve to the visual cortex and that is just the tip of the cortex. As we read, millions of electrical impulses are firing across billions of synaptic pathways, and we don't even give it a thought. The actual amount of visual detail in front of us is so vast that our eyes are only able to take in a tiny fraction of that amount through that little spot in the back of our eyeball, eyeball called the fovea anymore and our brain would overload. There is so much data every second that our finite brains could never process it at all in, in real time. But God has wired a workaround for that. We basically either don't perceive or have to ignore most of what we see outside of us. So to protect our brain uh, from overload, to protect itself from overload, and yet help us to still function at the same time, our brain fills in the details we miss. Our brain basically makes it all up. It extrapolates all of the data and then makes an educated guess about the rest of what we see. In fact, we fill in or make up a great deal more than we think we do. Our brains make up 40 percent of everything we see. Think about that. Forty percent of what we think 
we see is just made up by our brains. Our brains just fill in the gaps automatically for us. Maybe that's why eyewitness accounts are so unreliable. And that's how our brains process just the visual input we receive. Now let's take that up a notch. Our brains have more automatic filters because there is too much information to process. To protect us from overload, our brains automatically, by instinct, take all of the available input they receive, arrange it all in order of importance, figures out how much you can handle, and then throws out the rest, deletes it. And it throws out anything it determines is unimportant. It doesn't ask you to help it decide. It just does it instinctively. So wives, if you've ever given your husband the laundry list of what they are supposed to do and then wondered why they never listen to you, it's not their fault. Their brains decided that you were giving them extraneous information and chose to discard that extraneous information while neglecting to let them know about it. The brain has its own value system for determining what is extraneous or unimportant. It's just science, ladies. We have no say. It's not your man's fault. I mean, think about it. The brain has about 100 billion neurons. Each neuron is connected to other neurons by about 40,000 synapses. Meaning, each human brain has more connections than there are stars in the universe. A piece of brain tissue the size of a grain of sand contains 100,000 neurons and 1 billion synapses, all talking to one another at 268 miles per hour. And the more you do something, the stronger or thicker the synapse gets between neurons. So a repeated action or an addiction to something like pornography creates very thick connections that make it easier for the brain to take the same route next time. But it doesn't just make thicker connections for addictions. Your brain is always looking for shortcuts. It makes them for the way you brush your teeth, the way you make your bed, the route you take to work. Shortcuts allow your brain to go on autopilot in one area so that it can focus on other things. It takes about three years for these thicker connections to return to normal when you change your routine or stop that addiction. On average, you have 50 to 70,000 thoughts a day, keeping all of those neurons and synapses busy. When it comes to exactly how those thoughts and all of that input are processed, our understanding is still developing. Science is still exploring the mystery of the brain. It's a moving target, and what science believes today will probably be different than what science believes tomorrow. They are still discovering God's truth about the brain. So as we unpack all of this, please understand that I'll be speaking in some generalities. Don't get stuck in the, I'm not like that. These are just generalities. I'm not a scientist, and even though some of you uh, are watching me on your TV right now, I don't play a scientist on TV. 
Though there are few, if any, truly left or right brain processes, there's a lot of crossover. The left brain is the analytical side of the noggin. It's what we commonly think of as the mind, where conscious thought resides. Besides controlling the muscles on the right side of the body, the left side of the brain controls language and speech. It's where math and logic are processed. It is analytical and intellectual. It loves to categorize and sort and arrange. It loves order and linear processing. It's a great problem solver. Practicality and realism find their homes on the left side. It's where stories are told, plans are hatched, arguments are formulated, and truth is defended. And it loves to be in control. The right side is the intuitive side of our brain. If conscious thought lives on the left side of the brain, think of the right side as where your gut feeling originates. Just as the left side of the brain controls the right side of the body, the opposite is true here. The right brain controls the left side of the body. But it is also where emotion, creativity, passion, and sensuality find their homes. Taste, touch, color, arts and music, laughter. And this is interesting. Facial recognition comes from the right side of the brain as well. Now, we've all heard of women's intuition, right? We all know that most women are uh, more connected to their right brain than most men. So the fact that, that intuition is a right brain function makes sense of women's intuition, their, their gut instinct. However, do you know that men's intuition is actually stronger and more powerful? Uh, in this picture, you can see that there are bridges connecting the left and right hemispheres of the brain. Women have these bridges. Men don't. We're born with them, but at some point as guys grow and develop, our hormones go crazy and blow those bridges up. <laughs> and then our brain has to create new pathways. Uh, those bridges help women process their gut instinct to conscious thought faster than men. But men's intuition is more powerful than women's intuition. Uh, think about it this way. Women's intuition lives on the same block as their conscious thought. So when they want to get together and talk, it's like the bright brain comes over to the kitchen window, knocks and says, hey, let's chat. But without those bridges, for men, it's more like a journey to Africa. And some of us never make it there, if we're honest. <laughs> But if we can get to Africa, we have incredible intuition. Most of us have heard through the years that some people like artists and musicians were right brain people and accountants and engineers are left brain people. You might have some sense of that for you. What science now shows us is that isn't an accurate description. In their book, The Other Half of Church, which is the basis for this series, Jim Wilder and Michael Hendricks give us a more accurate picture of how the brain processes. As it turns out, all of the ways in which we interpret the world, from seeing uh, an expression on a friend's face to smelling our grandmother's roast chicken cooking in the oven, all of those things enter into our dual processor brain on the back right side. 
Everything enters the brain this way, on the back right side. Processing the smell of chicken shifts from the back to the front of the right side, uh, and somewhere behind our right eye, it crosses over to the left side. Then the smell of grandma's chicken processes from the front to the back of the left side. It's like going up one supermarket aisle and then crossing over and returning on the next aisle to the left. Everything takes this path. Uh, word, words in a conversation, a handshake, a favorite song, a puzzled look on a friend's face, a math problem, the taste of grandma's chicken when you finally sit down and eat. That and everything else you experience follows this path. Back to front on the right side, front to back on the left side. Which means that the right side of our brain starts processing before our left side, the home of conscious thought, is even aware of what's going on. That makes what, what is happening on the right brain pre-conscious thought. Our brain's right side processes faster and before our conscious awareness. In fact, it is more powerful than the left brain. The right brain processes information at the speed of six times per second, whereas the left brain processes at a mere five times per second. Meaning that we often know things faster than we are conscious of them and faster than we can speak about them. And again, being careful not to oversimplify very complex functions, our right brain governs the whole range of relational life, who we love, our emotional reactions to our surroundings, our ability to calm ourselves, and our identity, both as individuals and as a community. The right side manages our strongest relational connections, both to people and God, and our experience of emotional connectedness to others. And get this. Remember those two words we put a pin in? The right brain? The right brain controls our character formation. Now, to be clear, we need both sides of the brain to, to be cooperating in order for character formation to occur. But the right brain is what drives character formation. Don't lose that thought in the sea of everything that I am throwing at you. Right now, the right brain drives character formation. In fact, say that with me. The right brain drives character formation. In fact, Jim and Michael write that the, the right side tries to be sure that we can joyfully be like our people in whatever situation we encounter. What they mean is that our character is formed by answering the question, what would my people do right now that would reflect our deepest values and maintain all our important relationships? What would my people do? What that means is our character is formed in community with our people. Our loving attachments and the values of our community drive our character change. Which is why God's word warns us to be careful about who we hang around with. 
because we become like them. Think about it this way. Our character is our immediate response in a, to a situation. You hit your thumb with a hammer. How do you respond? That clerk gives you attitude that ticks you off. How do you respond? You slam on the brakes. How do you respond? It is our immediate response to a situation that reveals our character. And all of that happens in an instant before it ever hits your left brain. It's your gut instinct. Character formation is aligning our gut instinct with Jesus. It's reacting in that instant as Jesus would react long before we have words to describe it. Now, this is really important. So let me, let me break it down another way. I want my gut response to be like Jesus. And I figure out what Jesus' gut response would be by considering how Didi would handle this situation. Or Michelle would handle this situation. Or Sue Hood. Those are just some of my people. Maybe I've been in a car when Michelle has slammed on the brakes. And her gut response seems to really honor Jesus. So I, I ponder that. Or her gut response doesn't seem to honor Jesus. And I consider that. And I internalize it and eventually my right brain adopts the what would Michelle do in this instant method of aligning my character to Jesus. It's what would Jesus do as modeled by Michelle for me. The problem is that most of our approach to character formation tries to come at it from the left side. Most spiritual disciplines focus on the left side of the brain. Praying, reading the Bible, fasting, meditating on Scripture are conscious activities, not pre-conscious activities. Left, not right. And when we focus on them alone, we will always get inconsistent results because they ignore the right side of our brain. And that's because character formation must be right brain driven in order to form character. Left brain discipleship emphasizes beliefs, doctrine, willpower, and strategies, but neglects right brain loving attachments, joy, emotional development, and identity. When we leave out the right side, we end up with Christians who believe that God is love, but have difficulty experiencing that love in their daily living, especially when the going gets hard. On the left side, we are taught doctrine, but that doctrine has difficulty showing up in our instant reactions. The left brain knows not to lie, but it's not until the right brain is shown how to stop lying that character forms. The left brain knows to trust God with our money, but it's not until the right brain is shown how to trust God with our money that character is formed. Our left brain knows that God loves us and that we can trust him, but it's not until our right brain gets it that we stand firmly in that truth. Character formation is a right brain process. Don't get me wrong. All of those left brain spiritual activities are incredibly important to our discipleship. Bible reading, biblical teaching, scripture meditation, praying, uh, fasting, etc., etc., etc. We don't grow without those disciplines. But without the proper right brain relational and emotional environment, our results will be inconsistent. 
It takes both the right and the left brain working in harmony, but driven by the right side for transformation to become the norm in our lives. Interestingly enough, all of this science lines up with how Jesus approached growth. It's the pattern that we see in his ministry. Our love for Jesus, which is a right brain attachment function, is what produces obedience. Let's look at this scene from John chapter 14. John says that Judas, not Judas Iscariot, but the other one, the other disciple with that name, Judas said to him, Lord, why are you only going to reveal yourself to only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What I am telling you is from the Father who sent me. So why isn't Jesus revealing himself to the world? Because he reveals himself only to those who love him. Love comes first. It is the first step. We love Jesus and then we will obey. When we do not love Jesus, we will not obey. In the coming weeks, we will see that our loving attachment to Jesus, it's that loving attachment that forms our character. Loving attachment is a right brain activity. Love is right brain. A left brain approach would say that we need to choose to obey and that will prove our love for him. Obedience proves love which is exactly backwards. If we want to obey Jesus, we need to focus on right brain skills that grow our love for him and help us receive his love for us. Love must lead the way. Our brains are designed to change through love. Which is making that one command that Jesus left us with, that we spent all last month talking about as it relates to how we talk, it makes that one command begin to make a little more sense. Love each other. The way I, Jesus, have loved you, you should love each other. Love is the key to growth and love isn't a solo activity. We can't give love away alone. We have to have somebody to give it away to. It is impossible to fully develop a personal relationship with Jesus apart from community. Full-brained discipleship requires both the left brain and the right brain in balance, but driven by the right brain. Unfortunately, most churches focus on developing people from the left side of the brain. You can't really blame pastors. They're just doing what they were trained to do. They are gifted and trained in theology, preaching, vision casting, growth strategies, but may not even have the relational and emotional skills, let alone know how to use them to help people grow with a full-brained approach. So they set smart, measurable goals and work strategies to meet those smart, measurable goals. What side of the brain is that? The left side. And they provide resources to help people learn theology, a predominantly left-brained activity. Uh, they train people to study the Bible, arguably the most important factor in spiritual growth, but still a predominantly left-brained activity. And they talk about 
and train people to use the other spiritual disciplines, which are predominantly left-brained as well. Though there are some unintentionally right-brained disciplines too. And the results are inconsistent. It works for some people, sometimes, but not always. And doesn't work for others at all. One common pattern is that when people first uh, come to Christ, they see lots of growth. They are on fire and love Jesus and what he's done in their lives and it spurs on their growth. And then at some point we left bring the love out of them in the name of spiritual growth. <laughs> and they stop growing. Have you ever had one of those seasons where nothing seemed to work? A, a dry spell spiritually, uh, spiritually speaking where God seems far away? And if you stuck with it, you were going through the motions but not really actively forming your character to Jesus? That's my story. I spent many years doing things for Jesus with no character formation. I just reached a point where I was trying to prove my love for him by obeying unsuccessfully when I should have been loving him first and letting obedience follow. If you think about it, that's not how Jesus spent the bulk of his ministry. He focused on building deep, loving relationships with and the character of 12 young men. That's much harder to measure than how many people are at church or how much money came in the offering. It's harder to find a smart goal for how people love. It's a messy, disappointing process much of the time. Hard to measure. But then again, even for Jesus, the perfect savior of the world who nailed this full-brained approach, the results were often messy and disappointing. Maybe that's why we stick to left-brain discipleship. It seems less messy. But love is messy. And don't get me wrong, the spiritual disciplines are incredibly important for our growth. But what we're going to discover over the next few weeks is that the, the fruit will be inconsistent when there is low joy in your life. Fruit will be inconsistent when you have shallow relational attachments. Fruit will be inconsistent when you have an unstable identity. And fruit will be inconsistent when you are in weak community with others. All right side functions. But there is hope. We can learn to develop those right side functions. And as we do, I think we will all experience new growth. That's what this series is all about. In one of his more well-known parables, Jesus tells the story of a farmer who went out to plant, uh, to plant some seeds. Some of the seeds fell on the footpath where the birds came and ate them. Some of them fell on rocky soil and sprouted up but couldn't develop healthy roots, so they wilted and died in the hot sun. And some seed fell among thorns that choked the life out of the fledgling plants. And then some seed fell upon fertile soil that grew, that, that produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even 100 times what had been planted. Jesus goes on to explain uh, the parable to his disciples. Focus on the soils as I read these verses. And Jesus says, Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil 
represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth. So no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted. Now I, I guess that all of us would like to be planted in good soil. It is good soil that will make us mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ, as Paul said earlier. It is good soil that will provide the relational environment required to form our character to the character of Christ. Good soil requires good nutrients. And over the next four weeks, we're going to explore four building blocks for healthy soil. Without these four nutrients, we end up with shriveled, fruitless plants. We are malnourished and underdeveloped. In fact, without these four nutrients, we end up not only with weak character growth, but the weed of narcissism inevitably crops up and contaminates what little growth we do see. So we're going to learn how to cultivate good soil. Healthy soil is required for healthy, vibrant growth. Today's message gives us the context we need to understand how people grow. Next week, we'll look at the first nutrient, the often misunderstood concept of joy. Let's pray. Father, when I, when I study the brain, when I look at what, what we've learned about the brain, I can't help but think about the Psalms. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God with a purpose to live for the glory of our King, to become in every way possible like Jesus, full uh, and mature in Christ. But Father, we invite you to, to align our character with Jesus. Change us. We pray in his precious name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to download the discussion guide by selecting Watch from the top menu of our website. Working through those questions, alone or with others, will help the truth of God's Word find its place in your life. Please reach out if you have any questions or want help on your spiritual journey. My email address is on the screen, or you can call the church during the week. This ministry is made possible because of people like you people who believe in what God is doing through Dayspring. Your financial generosity is evidence of God's work in your life. If you're just checking us out today, please know that we don't expect you to give anything to support Dayspring. That is the responsibility of our Dayspringers. 
Just enjoy the rest of your day. If you'd like to start giving, we have three easy ways for you to get us your gift. Please see the online giving section of our website or text GIVE to the number on your screen or mail a check to us at the address you'll find on our website. And before I sign off, thank you for liking and sharing and following Dayspring on whatever platform you are on. Thank you for rating us where that is appropriate. I am so encouraged when you share something that has impacted you through this service with someone else. Until we meet again, may you experience great joy in the presence of Jesus. Thank you.